Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Wilshire today. We're glad you're with us on this chilly, beautiful fall morning. Isn't it great? The only thing that could make it better is if football season were already over. <laughs> it's one of those years. We're glad to have you here. We have some visitors, and thank you. Welcome to Wilshire. Thank you for joining us for worship today. We have some brothers and sisters who are homesick. I know part of my family's at home, and we have some brothers and sisters out traveling today, so uh, wherever that places you, we are glad to have you here today. So welcome to Wilshire. And today is my mother's birthday. Sometimes mom gets to watch online. So happy birthday, mom, if you're joining us today. I hope you'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've worshipped here with us long enough, and you've heard Jim preach enough, then you've heard Jim reference a lot of movies. Jim's a movie buff. He likes good movies. And so it's not unusual for some deep philosophical concept will be drawn from a movie that Jim watches. And you can, you can tell a lot about a person by the movies they watch. Right? Jim likes Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Well, as I was preparing the lesson this week, my mind came on a movie. It's a short movie. 1 Corinthians 11 made me think of a movie I recently watched with my kids. Some of you may have seen it. Minion Scouts? Only a few? The Minions. You know, the Minions are the little yellow guys from Despicable Me and Gru and all that. Those are the kind of movies I watch. I like to balance Jim out, you know? There's this great... The, the, the Minion Scouts is this short clip of these little yellow guys who see these girls come back from scout camp, and they've got all of these badges on. And, and they decide they would like to have some badges. So the little minion guys go out to scout camp, like badger camp or something, and they try their hand at all of these different things. And they, it's a disaster. Nothing goes well for these yellow little guys. Uh, they try setting up a tent, and that doesn't go well. They try identifying plants, and they eat some sort of poison berry. They try tracking animals, and they get attacked by a bear. And they try building a fire, and they end up blowing up the lake dam. And it's, nothing goes right for these little guys. Well, then they get back to the treehouse, and the little girl's sitting there, and she's got a vest on of all these merit badges she's won. And she takes her sharing badge. And she offers it to the little yellow minion. And the little yellow minion takes the sharing badge and immediately begins to fight with the other two minions <laughs> over who gets to keep the sharing badge. <laughs> That's my kind of movie. And I would like to reflect this morning on the deep philosophical cinematic meaning of the Minion Scouts. Actually, as goofy as that is, the irony of fighting over a sharing badge is exactly the problem in Corinth. We talked last week about the church in Corinth struggling with communion, and, and we spent some time laying that out and what was going on. They had this idea that when they shared communion, that that put them some sort of special leave, that I've been baptized into Jesus, I've been given the Spirit of God, I have eaten at the table of the Lord, and therefore I am untouchable. And if you remember last week, we walked through 1 Corinthians 10, 
And we looked at the story Paul told of Israel's story. And he tells it in such a way to remind them of the connections they've got with Israel. That's why chapter 10 starts by saying they were baptized in the sea. They were covered in the cloud. All of them ate in the wilderness. Baptized, protected with the cloud, and eaten in the wilderness. All of them. And yet, some of them went out and committed sexual immorality. And some of them went out and fell into idolatry. So the same blessings and braggings that you have in Corinth, they had in Israel, don't make the same mistake they made in falling into idolatry and sexual immorality, which happened to be the concern in Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has this line in it, Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Yes, you've sat at the table of the Lord, and yes, you've been baptized into Jesus, and yes, you have the Spirit of God in your life, but be careful. That doesn't make you untouchable to Satan. Well, Paul goes off in 1 Corinthians. He starts talking about some other things in chapter 11, some different traditions and things going on, but he comes back to communion in chapter 11 again. Because they still are struggling with another aspect. And, and the easiest way to talk about this, I think, is to give you kind of an interesting parallel in our time. Not exactly parallel, but something was happening in Corinth. When they came together to take communion, they forgot about everyone around them. Now... About a year ago, we studied the book of 1 Corinthians, and I said, I think what's going on in the, in the church at Corinth is they have this basic problem of asking, are we shaped more by the culture around us or the cross before us? And all through Corinth, they seem to be going with culture. We want to please the people around us. We want everyone out there to love and appreciate and accept us in culture, and so of course we're fighting over our favorite preacher because he's better looking and he's a better speaker and he's more polished at this. And Paul says, but that's not how people shaped by the cross make that determination. Of course they're fighting over sexual immorality and it's my body, I can do whatever I want and you can't tell me how I should conduct myself sexually. Paul says that's what the world is saying, but the cross says something different. You've been bought with the price. You are not your own. You've been justified, sanctified. You cannot follow the morals out there. The culture goes in and says, I'll eat what I want to eat. I'll do what I want to do. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but if you're shaped by the cross, you look at your brother or sister and you say, if, if meat causes my brother to be offended, I won't touch it for your sake. The cross says anything by any means to get anything you want. And Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might by all means gain some. What shapes you more? The culture outside of us or the cross in front of us? 
So then they come together for communion on their worship times together. And you would think of all times, communion would be the moment that they get that. Where they take the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. You would think that at that moment, with the cross being forefront in their mind, they would get that. But they still missed it. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I don't commend you in what you're doing. In fact, I, I wouldn't even call that communion what you're doing. They're taking the bread, they're drinking the cup, but Paul says, but what's happening there in Corinth is not communion. And I'm kind of embarrassed, kind of ashamed that you're labeling that as the table of the Lord. So what's got Paul so upset? Now, I've flown a lot of places in my life. I have never flown first class. I don't know if you've ever flown first class, but nothing tells you your status in life like flying coach. Right? I mean, it starts early on. You're sitting in the terminal, you're waiting for the plane to load, and then they come on and they tell you, we're going to load the first class people first. And then you wait, and when they finally call you to get on the plane, you walk past all the people in first class who have more legroom, a cushier seat, and they already have a beverage as they sit there and wait for things to start. And you walk past the first class people almost ashamed that you're not as good as them. And they look at you like they're ashamed that you're not as good as them. It's kind of this walk of shame past first class. I hate it. I traveled to Honduras many years ago with a missionary. And, and this missionary, he had flown so many times that he got points to fly. And so it got to where he could fly first class. And so AJ was his name. AJ and I are going to fly to Honduras. He says, you know what? I'm going to sit back and coach with you. That's quite the gesture, I thought. So we board the plane, we get in our coach seats, and he is reminded of how little legroom there is back there. And he's seated next to a woman who has a child flying for the first time. And then the steward walks past and says, uh, AJ, we have you down as first class. And he looks around and he says, I think I'll take that. And when we landed, of course, in flight, they bring you the meal. And that, again, is another reminder of just how of lesser value you are. They give you some dried-out piece of chicken. And meanwhile, first class is eating steak. I, and just to put the nail in the coffin, they have the curtain between first class and coach. If you remember that? It's like you're not even allowed to peer into first class. And they shut the door. But I was right at the border between first class and coach. And I could see what they were eating. Nothing reminds you of your status and how poor and pathetic you may be like walking past first class and sitting in coach. What if we treated church that way? That's what was happening in Corinth. 
Because culturally, when you sit down to eat a meal in first century Corinth, in Roman provinces, that's how you ate meals. Archaeologists have uncovered houses and how houses were built, and they would often have this special banquet room in it that could seat about nine people if you were of a certain wealthy status in Corinth or in Rome. And so you would have these people in, and you had your banquet room for nine people, and then you had the atrium or kind of a larger open area thing that in the, in the average wealthy home of Corinth and Rome, you would have room for maybe 30 or 40 people. And we know that the church in Corinth met in the house of a man by the name of Gaius. We actually know that from Romans chapter 16, which is written from Corinth. And Gaius is probably a wealthy man and has a house. If you can have the church in your home, you're going to be a little wealthier because you have a big enough home. And so it's probable that the church in Corinth is about 40 to 60 members. And they show up to share communion. And they do what you do everywhere else. You separate the church based upon their status. And you sit the wealthier members of the congregation in the, in the banquet hall area. And you take all the other members of the congregation, the slaves and the freedmen and, 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 the, and the other folks, and you put them in the atrium. And then it's time to serve the meal and serve communion. And this is how one scholar explained how it unfolded in all likelihood. That they would take the best seats, the best food, the best wine, the best company, the best entertainment, and they reserved it for the affluent and the noble-born and the free and the prestigious. That's how they're used to eating a meal. And so, of course, when it's time to share a meal and to share communion as the church, well, how else do you do that? You do it the way we always eat. And here this church has come together in the name of Jesus Christ. And rather than saying the cross is what shapes us, they decide to do it the way culture does it. And so it's time for communion to be shared. And we have to wait on our wealthy brothers and sisters to take it first. In fact, we don't even wait for our poor brothers and sisters who may not have been able to get here yet. And it may even be that they, they don't even have enough food by the end because we've overindulged over here so that our poor brothers and sisters out in the atrium don't even get leftovers. Is that what communion is supposed to be like? And yet... That's what it looks like is being done in Corinth. Now, if you think that's overblown, flip your Bible over to James. It's a different context, different setting, but a similar problem is happening there with the church James is talking with. And just listen to the way this unfolded. Chapter 2 of James, beginning in verse 1. My brothers and sisters... Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? 
If a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. And to the other one who is poor, you say, stand there, sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's happening there too. That they are looking at each other, they're sizing each other up, and they're determining their place and their value in the kingdom of God and their value as human beings by the standards of culture. And they're doing that in their assembly. So when you get back to Corinth, Paul hears from the household of Chloe about the divisions in the church. And he knows that the church in Corinth is made up of a diverse people. And they tell him, Paul, you ought to see communion. This moment that's supposed to bring us together and remind us that before Jesus we are one. And they're using communion itself to emphasize their distinctions. What would you have said to that? <laughs> That's why Paul, sa Paul says, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Don't call that communion. Don't you dare say that's the table of the Lord. And so what Paul does is he reminds them of what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. When Jesus gave us this meal, Paul said, let me tell you the story of how this meal came to be. Let me tell you why we even take this meal to begin with. On the very night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Paul says, don't you understand that communion is not about me? It's about we. Because in Corinth, it was about my status and my place. My wealth and my reputation. And Paul says you cannot make that claim if it's really the body of Jesus that you're eating. Because the body of Jesus was broken, not for his own power and not for his own good, but for your good. How do you even do that? How do you even say this is the body of Jesus I'm going to take this. I hope there's some left for you in the end. Paul says you can't. And he says on the same night he took this cup and he blessed this cup that was shed for the remission of sins. Your sins. How can you drink that and think in any sense of the word that you're better than the people around you? That's not communion you're drinking. The very meaning of this meal 
is a call to the kingdom of Jesus Christ that shatters these cultural distinctions. And whatever it is you're doing there in Corinth, whatever it is you're eating and drinking at that table, don't you dare call that the Supper of the Lord. That's what's happening in Corinth. Can you imagine what it would look like today if we celebrated communion the way the Corinthians were trying to celebrate communion? What if when you showed up this morning, we asked you, which neighborhood do you come from? Do you come from North Edmond? Nice, fancy houses? Or do you come from downtown Oklahoma City, kind of the questionable parts of neighborhoods, not safe, high crime rates? Because those of you from the nice areas of Edmond or the nice areas of Oklahoma City, we want you to sit up here, the better seats. Or what if we had someone standing in the parking lot and determining based on the year and make of your car, where you're going to sit for communion and worship today. Oh, brother, so-and-so virtually had to push theirs up the driveway here. We'll put them in the back. And when it comes time for communion, they walk past you so that they could take it to this brother who drove in in a really nice new car today. After all, they may give more when collection time comes. What if we separated each other based on the school you went to? Oh, you went to a private school. Oh, you went to an Ivy League graduate school. What What if we took communion and we sat in worship based on the square footage of your house? Well, when you put it that way, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But are we really that different sometimes? Corinth lived in a culture that everything was determined by your status and culture. And Paul says you cannot do that with the cross. It seems weird to talk about Corinth that way and and to look at it and and listen to it that way and think, wow, that's, that's just absurd. And yet, we have example after example in our own day and age and in our own culture and in our own history where we weren't any different. There was a time when brothers and sisters of a different color had to sit in a balcony if they were even allowed to sit in the same church building. There's stories out of Texas at a time when if someone of a different race wanted to be baptized, we changed the baptismal waters afterwards. Paul says, whatever you call that, do not call that anything in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom of God shatters that. And when you sit and worship, that's what you're being called to live out. 
Corinth was pushed with the challenge, are we going to be people of culture or people of the cross? And people, and Paul says, if you drink of this bread, if you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, you're saying I am people of the cross and not people of the culture. And as we saw last week, Paul says, and if you sit at that table, you are partnering with God in the work happening out there. And so he tells them in Corinth, if you eat and drink of this in an unworthy manner, you're eating and drinking damnation on yourself. I've listened to that text talked about and kicked back and forth. Does that mean that when I come together to take communion, that it, if somehow my mind wanders and thinks of something other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that I'm condemned? That if I'm finding it hard to focus today, that I'm drinking it in an unworthy manner, am, am I drinking damnation on myself? I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. When Paul says that you are discerning the Lord's body, I think he's playing with words. That the Lord's body is the physical body of Jesus that hung on the cross. Yeah, that, that, that's part of it. But we too are the Lord's body. And when Paul says, when you eat and drink without discerning the body, he's saying, when you eat and drink communion without thinking of your brothers and sisters around you and making it all about you, you are damning yourself. Because you're claiming you want the benefits of Christ without the calling of the cross. And you can't have it that way. That when you take in communion, you are committing yourself to the body of Jesus. That's what Paul has in mind. I got an angry email one day from someone who watched our worship service and listened to us talk about communion. And this person wasn't pleased with what I had to say before communion because in communion, I shared some concerns happening in culture, some things happening around us, and I called us back to what the cross meant by that. And this email, this brother emailed me and said, you're not supposed to talk about anything except the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when you take communion. Paul says you should think about everything in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what was happening in Corinth was they thought for a moment they could slip in, enjoy this meal, and preserve their cultural distinctions and walk out and say, I've eaten with the Lord. And Paul says it doesn't work that way. That when we share communion, we are being called back to what Jesus did for us. And we are being called into a a commitment to our brothers and sisters around us who are equal before God with us. I loved what Chip had to share at communion today because that's what Paul was calling them to. All of us are mortals and all of us are sinners and Jesus died for all of us. And then he's calling us to this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul isn't just saying we tell each other the story, we recount past events. 
He is saying that everything you do is shaped by what happened at this table. So when you go to work tomorrow, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you sit at your home tonight with your family, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Everything we are is defined by what this table means. Paul says, look, you have your own houses to eat in. It's about more than you. It's about more than filling your stomach and more than getting your ticket punched. It's about our shared commitment to the kingdom of God. I want you to look around the auditorium. Is there anywhere in culture that looks like this? Anywhere else you can go in our culture that says, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter what your educational status is, it doesn't matter how, what kind of job you work, you are equal to me. Can you think of anywhere else in culture? Doesn't happen at a football game. We know the folks sitting at the 50-yard line paid more for those tickets than I did. Doesn't happen on an airplane. Doesn't happen in our schools that are still too far segregated by race and finances. Doesn't happen in the grocery stores where certain people can shop certain aisles and other people can't dare walk down that aisle. Doesn't happen in neighborhoods. Is there anywhere in culture that looks like this auditorium? Because Paul says one day it all will look like what God is doing through his church. And when you share communion, you're committing yourself to that work in our world. This morning, in the name of Jesus, I want to offer you the invitation in his name. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, we are all mortals and we are all sinners. And Jesus gave his body and his blood equally for all of us. And if you have come to the knowledge that you need that in your life, we want to offer the invitation so you can step forward, confess Jesus, and be buried with him in baptism. And if you have done that, and let me remind you as you go through your week, you took communion. You've committed yourself to the work of the kingdom. Go with God as you do that. We invite you to come all together we stand and sing.